If you happen to have kids or even know someone who does, I highly recommend the new musical children's picture books by Emma Pinnell Music. Emma is an author and musician of over 20 years dedicated to emotional understanding for kids and adults. Her books, Gentle Dragons, Healing and Dealing with Emotions and Feelings, and also Queen Tween the Cat, A Story of Gratitude and Compassionate Attitude, both are themed around assisting children develop healthy emotional habits and positive attitudes towards life and others. Emma also includes full-color, captivating illustrations, also completely done by her on every page. Find these books available on Amazon in print or ebook, or visit her personal website, www.emmapanil.com. That's www.emmapanil.com. Panil spelled P-A-U-N-I-L.com. This is Kara, the host of the Conquest of Bliss podcast, and you're tuned in to Undergroundopolis. Everybody, it's Undergroundopolis time. It's 7 p.m. It's Wednesday night. Tonight, our guest is Tommy Womack. Tommy Womack has been in government cheese. He plays bass for Todd Snyder. He has a, an album out right now called Dare I Said It. Have you published books? You've got books out, don't you? I've got three books out. All right. All right. We'll get to that. <laughs> and with that, we're bringing him right on. <laughs> if you could narrow down somebody that you saw on stage or on tv or just and you said i want to do that i want to be that guy like could you for for being a professional musician who who would you say that influence might be uh that's a good question if i could i don't know if i could narrow it down to one that's okay uh, i had that feeling uh seeing bruce springsteen um, I get that feeling about Joe Strummer of The Clash. Um, nowadays, I find myself feeling that way about Randy Newman. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've envied many big stars that really turned my head around and, and uh, affected other people's lives, too. Well, how did Government Cheese first come together? Scott Willis and I were college roommates and we wanted to form a band um wasn't real serious at first it was with me but scott was a little more realistic about it uh i really you know i was urgent about getting the band started this was like fall of 84 and then uh it turned into 85 and in january of 85 we got our bass player together with us billy mack hill and we played a fraternity party, and it didn't go terribly well, and the band kind of lay dormant for a couple of months. And then we got Joe King in to play drums, and we started doing gigs, and 
the semester ended and the band should have broken up and maybe did for a few weeks, but then suddenly nobody left town or anything. We were still all around able to do the and so we did. And uh, we got a gig on a Monday night at Picasso's in Bowling Green and we sold the place out somehow. And then it just took off from there. And there were a couple of different clubs in town that uh, initially didn't want us. And then once we played and did well, uh, suddenly we had this, uh, we started building this following. And by the time 1986 rolled around, we were, we were the hot stuff in town by then. And we just, uh, we weren't very good when we started, but we got tighter and tighter and better and better in a short amount of time. And by uh, by 87 or so, late 86, early 87, we were big in Bowling Green, Louisville, Lexington, Nashville, Knoxville. Um, we had followings in other towns, St. Louis and some places in Illinois. Cincinnati, Dayton, um, went up north a bit. We played at CBGB's in New York City. Oh, wow. And, um, got followings in a whole, you know, Houston. We had a good following in Houston. We, we toured like dogs. We just, we were on the road half the time, probably. And uh, we continued on and did it until we just couldn't do it anymore, Rob. Until um, spring of 1992 is when we finally put the put the end to it. But then, within a couple of years, we did our first reunion gig, and it turned out so well that we were actually surprised a bit how well it turned out. And that has led to just this regular thing where. Usually at least once a year, once every two years, we get together and play. There, there was this time when uh, whenever a friend got sick that didn't have insurance and needed a benefit show called Government Cheese, and we'd show up and do it, raise, I don't know, however many thousands of dollars to help who was ever in need. And then uh, about five years ago, um I got the crazy idea that maybe we should make another album. And I called Scott up and said, hey, uh, what do you think about writing some new government cheese songs? And he was into the idea. And we went into the studio in Nashville. And we cut our first reunion record, The Late Show, is what it's called, and did a few gigs. Did very well at Headliners when that record came out. And so that's been four years ago, more or less maybe more than that and uh we're doing our next one we're we're going in the studio uh in september and we're going to cut another album and we're just the band that won't die <laughs> well i meant to say this in the intro i forgot to i feel like i've got a common bond so where did you go to college by the West, way in kentucky university in bowling uh, yeah that, that's why you to hit and bowl green at first. I get it now. But, well, I feel like I have a common bond with you because what little research I've done, uh, I found out that you're from Madisonville, Kentucky. Well, 
you're, which means you're from Hopkins County and I'm from Webster County. So, <laughs> oh boy. Huh? Oh boy. Yep. <laughs> at least what, at least Hopkins County eventually went wet. <laughs> that was amazing when that happened. Uh, you know, hell froze over and they went wet. Yeah. Amazed when that happened. Well, I think Webster County is moist now. I think two cities can sell alcohol in Webster County now. Of course, I haven't been there in forever. <laughs> like, I only go there when there's a funeral. <laughs> I've seen that at, on holidays. And other than that, you know, it's just in my rear view mirror. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, what? Well, now, now I got reeled in, lost my place. <laughs> but, Let's see. When you, what, what would you, how would you describe the music you create? Um, honestly, honest. That's what I go for is honest. Right. I don't write songs about, oh, I love you, baby, or anything that's made up. Um, what I write about is real feelings. And sometimes the songs are real goofy and funny. But that doesn't mean they're not coming from a real place. You know, I'm not just a goofy clown. I, I'm serious about this at the same time. Even if the songs are funny, sometimes sometimes they're not. And it's all real. It's all coming from a real place. So, so is camping on acid, is, is that based on a true event? It was based on what happened to a friend. I had not done yet in my life when... Well, I was riding back after a gig in uh, Murray, I think it was, and uh, Scott was driving. I was riding with him, and he said something. Me and blah, blah, blah were camping on acid one weekend, and, and I just heard those three words, camping on acid, and I just thought, that's got to be a song. And I went home and wrote wrote the lyrics real fast and then just came up with the music to fit the lyrics. And um, I knew what acid was like from having many friends having done it. You know, I knew what it was about, but I had never actually done acid myself yet when I wrote the song. And, of course, I became sort of this patron saint of acid locally after that. And I'm like, no, 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 man, I've, I've never done it. You know, I'm just writing somebody else's experience. But uh, I did do acid maybe a year after I wrote the song, and um, I didn't do enough to cause schizophrenia or anything, but I did see interesting colors for a while, and uh, I learned not to look in the mirror. When you're on acid, don't dare look. <laughs> yep. Look <laughs> through the mirror, and you'll notice all the pores in your skin, and before long, you really... You, you've really crossed over into another dimension and, uh, it, it's not always pleasant. But, uh, that's, um, it became one of our big hits and I still play it with my own band now, uh, whenever I do gigs around town. I even do it acoustically. Um, it loses a little bit in the translation, but. It's a good song, you know, just uh, like I said, it's one of those goofy things, but it's real. Alpha male and the canine mystery blood. 
came to town with death cab for cutie. I stayed home with my wife and child and a six pack of beer. I pondered that name for 15 minutes after I saw the poster stapled to a phone pole on the corner of Grand and 21st. That was a couple of years ago. I was already in my 40s then, so I didn't go out on a whim just to see a band called Alpha Male and the Canine Mystery Blood. Just because I like the name, just because I'm 25 and every day's a stone summer day. My band was always gigging then. REM was still kicking then. I drove that Ford Granada mom and dad gave to me after they got them a Ford LTD. And there was music on MTV. I smoked my manager's pot and got laid quite a lot. I was working at Vanderbilt University at the time. I was an office assistant. And uh, I was going up the hill to where I work. It was uh, you know, about quarter to eight in the morning, kind of cold. And there was a poster up on a telephone pole uh, for an act whose records always came out the same week that mine came out. And they always did much better. And I was jealous and you know a little embittered and it was this poster for this guy uh for his new year's eve celebration at the exit in he was going to play so i got this idea of writing about that poster i didn't pursue it that day but i believe it was that next weekend i was at a bar in franklin tennessee watching a friend's band play and You know, so, sometimes Rob's songs will just come up to you and touch you on the shoulder and say, it's time to mm -hmm. write me. And it did. I didn't have a pen or a paper. And I asked the bar bartender if he had a pen. I said, he gave me the pen from behind his ear. I said, do you have any paper? And he said, no. And I said, well, why don't you hit enter on that cash machine several times and spit me out some receipt paper there. I'll just write on that. So he did that. And I filled it up really quickly, and I I really got on the guy's nerves because for the next 20 minutes, I was asking him to spit out more and more <laughs> until he started spitting it out in foot-and-a-half-long strips. And it took about 20 minutes to write the song on uh, a grand total of 11 feet, 4 inches of cash register ribbon. And... Um, I went in the studio not long after, and it, it's got just four chords over and over again in the whole song. It doesn't do any, it doesn't change at all. It's just the words, you, you know the song, it's spoken word. It's basically a spoken word piece with music behind it. But it's just like one of Lou Reed's later songs where he's just speaking it, and the chords are kind of um, simple and after the fact in a way. It's just, and um, the first time I did it was in 
September of 2006, I think, at Eddie's Attic in Decatur, Georgia. Oh, yes. Uh, Jason Ringerberg just played there. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, and I've just been doing it ever since, and people just get amazed that I can remember all the words. I tell you, I've I've written some songs, and there's a lot of words, and I don't play them anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm having trouble remembering a lot of the songs more than I used to. But we, oh, you know, the pandemic has caused me to, you know, I used to sing three nights a week before the pandemic. And so I remember all the songs all the time because I was singing them all the time. And this past year, it's not been that way. So I've done live stream shows, you know, internet concerts. And I find myself stumbling over the words because I don't sing them every week like I usually do. I suppose I could rehearse or something like that, but I hate to rehearse. <laughs> who, who doesn't? <laughs> Back to this story after our sponsor story. This episode of Undergroundopolis has been brought to you by Shadow Stars Books, an epic science fiction story with mature flavor by Stephen Couts. Book 1, taking place in 2089, reported UFO sightings and human abductions have reached alarming numbers. The story follows Drew Cage, captain of the Journeyer, in its search for intelligent life to open peaceful negotiations. But then captured by the Ubides, an alien race of the highest intellect and ally of the Durs, a carnivorous race with ever-expanding territory. Shadow Stars Book 1 is available now through any bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Google Play, and iTunes. Check out ShadowedStarsBooks.com for direct links to these sites. That's Shadowed, not Shadow, StarsBooks.com. Now that we got that out of the way, let's get back to it. How did you get involved with uh, Todd Snyder? I knew Todd because the band I was in after Government Cheese, The Biscuits, We did a record for John Prine's label, Oh Boy Records, and uh, the band broke up in 94 just as Todd needed a new guitar player. So our guitar player, the other guitar player in the Biscuits, Will Kimbrough, he went and joined Todd's band, and Todd heard a song of mine that's on the Biscuits record called Betty Was Black and Willie Was White, and he really liked it. He eventually recorded it. Uh, and that was sort of the bonding thing between the two of us. He discovered that I was the one that wrote the song, and we became friends. And uh, then I wound up opening for him here and there, and I became sort of part of that group of people that follow him, and I got some fans out of it. And then in the summer of 2003, late summer, early fall, he... uh had some band dates coming up and his old bass player uh they'd had a falling out over something so he asked me if i would play bass he sent me an email one day asking if i would play bass and you know i'd never played bass professionally for anybody ever um but i was his friend and he wanted me in the band so i found a bass and uh one of his street team people sent me a cd with 25 songs on it and uh I, I after work every day i would come home and just sit with the jam box and that cd and do nothing but drink wine and play bass along with the the jam box 
until uh, I couldn't see straight, you know, four hours a night for like three weeks before the gig. And we didn't have any rehearsal. There was a little bit of a rehearsal at Soundcheck that day, but basically none at all. And suddenly I found myself in front of a sold-out theater of 3,000 people, scared out of my mind, because I found out the hard way that the bass player is the one guy in the band that has to know the song exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't lay out. The guitar player can strum a big chord and lay out for a second and figure out where he is. The keyboard player can raise his hands up for a second and figure out where he is. The drummer just needs to know when to stop, basically. And, you know, the lead singer has to know the song right. But other than that, it's the bass player. When it's time to go to the B minor for the bridge, you'd better go for the B minor when it's time for it. There's no mistakes allowed. And I found that out the hard way. I did all right. I, I played bass fine, really. And I wound up being a bass player for a year, maybe two years. And then I moved over to rhythm guitar where I was much more comfortable. And that's the role I had um, when we did Leno and Letterman together. I was the rhythm guitar player. Oh, wow. Yeah. Could, could you narrow down a, a particular favorite show you played and why? Hmm. Um, we're getting my favorite two questions here. <laughs> um, playing the casino in Reno, Nevada, Nevada. Um, that was that was like Springsteen or something. That was a real. Uh, we played that casino several times, and one particular time, the crowd just would not let us leave the stage. We we rocked the house really good. There was this festival called the Muckle Lane Festival where that was really good. Um, there were some gigs that were really bad. I'll not get into those, but uh, oh, well, that's going to be that's going to be a question. <laughs> Go ahead. Do you have a least favorite performance? That's always the counter question to that one. Played this bar in Indianapolis, and why is it, why is it always Indianapolis, everybody? <laughs> well, Indiana should just be sued for being there. <laughs> Indiana for being way between me and Chicago, taking up my time. Uh, there, I was. My career was at a low ebb, one of many low ebbs, and I wound up at this bar in Indianapolis. And I came into the bar around four that afternoon, already drunk. I had been drunk for days, um, and. Um, I just thought, this is it. I'm done. Screw this whole music business thing. I'm done. This is, you know, I'm obviously not going anywhere. This is not working out. I obviously need to find another line of work. And so I just continued to get drunker and drunker. I did my first set and then I went, I had one table of people that came to see me. So I went to their table and sat down and just kept drinking. Turns, you know, 20 minutes. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, the owner of the club comes up and asks if I'm going to play anymore. And I think I said no or something like that. He said, well, I'm not going to pay you. And he stormed out before I actually did play. About an hour after I quit the first time, I did go up and do another set. But the owner was already pissed off and left, and he fired off this nasty email to my manager. And that was, that was probably as bad as it got. 
was the Bottle Rockets had the song about breaking down in Indianapolis. <laughs> it's such a funny song. Was that, is that who it was? I believe it was, yes. <laughs> what, do you have a, a song that's real, real personal or just a, like a really particular favorite song you love to play? Nice but, Day. Uh, nice Day? A song about taking my son swimming and forgetting about the troubles in my life for a brief instant. Yeah, Nice Day. That's, that's probably the best song I've ever written. It comes from a really honest place. Uh, I was really scared about the future and about making the bills, and and I was just scared all the time. Because, see, I smoked pot every day, all day, for about 20 years, and then one day it just turned on me. And I became paranoid all the time, and I was in this really bad, paranoid place. And then I took my son swimming one day, and he was having such a good time that for just a little bit, I started to have a good time, too. And uh, that's what that song is about. Getting back to Todd, I uh, wrote the song on Todd's tour bus in Texas a few weeks afterward. And uh, it's just a totally honest song. And it turns out there are a lot of people that are terrified about making the bills, and they all respond to that song especially the parents, the ones who have kids really, really respond to that song well. It's got a melody, which not all of my songs have. It's got something you can actually hum and recognize what the song is as opposed to what most lyrics are in everybody's genre. It's very rare you come across a vocal melody that actually sounds like something that you can hum or go la di da di da and you can tell what the song is just from doing that. Most songs aren't that melodic that you can do that to them. How many instruments do you play? I play guitar and bass, blues harp, and I can dicker around on the piano just a tiny little bit, not much at all. I know where most chords are on a piano, but I can't really play it that well. I, I can record doing it one hand at a time, but uh, but mainly guitar, bass, harmonica, that's about it for me. Mandolin. Speaking of recording, do you prefer the studio or the stage? It's apples and oranges. They're oh, two yeah? Things. The studio is great fun. Uh, the stage is great fun, except when it's not. When it's a great gig and there's an audience there and they're really liking you, yeah, that's, that's better than anything in the world. But when it's an empty house or this tiny little place that, uh, you wonder what the hell you're doing there and nobody's listening to you, um, that's, that's the worst, you know, mm-hmm. and you do, don't usually have that in the studio. The studio is usually pretty fun for me, anyway. Not everybody feels that way, but for me, it looks it's that way. Um, but they're two totally different things. In the studio, you can sing something over and over again until you get it right. On stage, you get one shot. You, get, you only get one chance to sing that verse, and you better do it right. And uh, you you can do things like drink and smoke in the studio and get away with it, whereas on stage you don't necessarily get away with it that easily. What would you say the best advice you've ever been given was? 
Let me think. Uh, Ken Smith in Bowling Green, he ran Picasso's. He had a band called the Ken Smith Band. And he said, learn to do these three things. Learn to sing in tune, learn to play in tune, and learn to keep a beat. And you do those three things, you'll go over well. Whether your songs are good or not, or not, you'll at least go over well with people if you do those three things. That's probably the best advice I've ever been given. Make sure your guitar's in tune and make sure you play and sing in rhythm. If you do those three things, then you'll at least be musically pleasing to people. So what's next for you? A uh, new album in October. I've already got it recorded. It's called I Thought It Was Fine. And... uh uh, Government Cheese goes in the studio in September, and I'm thinking it's about time for me to start booking gigs in the fall um, in advance of this record coming out. So that's what's coming up. Is there anything you'd like to plug in before we wrap this up? Tell everybody I wish them peace and love and good health, and I'll keep what I'm do- keep keeping on what I'm doing, and you keep keeping on with what you're doing, so long as you don't hurt anybody. It's been a nice day. We all went swimming. Me and my sweetheart and our boy. It's been a nice day. We had a good time The sun was shining and life was joy It was at a friend's house We got invited We can't afford a swimming pool ourselves Our beds are unmade Our bills are half paid we got things up on the shelves I'm 43 now My hair is going I got a shaky sense of self-esteem But in that water That smile on my boy's face For a moment life was not a bad dream It's been a nice day We all went swimming I love you, Daddy He said that twice Nothing got broken No one got sunburned I never freaked out It was nice I worry often I live in terror Of what life may have in store I've got this vision Working at MAPCO Making change when I'm 64 I'll be an old man I'll have had a good time I'll have God willing My boy and my girl And then I'll die And go to God's house Singing take me from this 
It's been a nice day. We all went swimming. Me and my sweetheart and our boy. Hey, 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 this here is Dirty Steve from the band Soul Shifter. And here is my joke of the week. If you had a nudist colony and Ronald McDonald was there, how would you know who he was? Can't figure it out. He's the one with the sesame seed buns. <laughs> Woo! That is all our time we have for now. Thank you for listening to Undergroundopolis. Remember, we do this every Wednesday night, bringing you new and exciting artists every week. Be sure to hit up their websites and social media and stream or download their music. If you like this show, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, any streaming platform, and leave us a review as well. I'm your host, Rob Lyon, signing off.